Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. The revolt of the... Dot, 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 or blank... And subtitled, A Page from from the Domestic History of the 20th Century by Robert Barr. All right, so this is (laughs) an interesting story um, because the title is uh, not clearly, at least to me, not clearly answered, the blank in the title is not clearly answered by anything in the story. I think it could be at least two different things um and is 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 that is that half the power of this story i think we better make clear what the story is good idea story begins with mr maddox um a fellow who seems to be despondent um calling to get the a consultation with his wife And she puts him off. She's obviously a business person. He is at home. But he gets a reply saying that she will meet him if he comes to her for lunch. They go and have lunch. He explains that he has tried to enter into a business deal on his own. She says, why didn't you ask my advice? Uh, But the business deal that he has tried to get into, which apparently is betting on wheat futures um, has gone bad because somebody has cornered the market and that means they can control the price and the price won't necessarily go up because there are no buyers um, since the the wheat is already spoken for. Um, So as the price goes down, um, the value of his futures go down and uh, he's going to be wiped out. And when the wife hears the nature of the business proposition, she says, aha, well, uh, you go ahead and try to get Caesar Camp, as you had hoped to, to come in with you to fight this corner, this group that has cornered unnamed that the market. And I guarantee you'll get double your money back. So he's, wow, that's terrific, wonderful. And he goes ahead and gets some people to invest another million pounds into this scheme. But son of a gun, the corner holds and the value of it all goes down even more, meaning that the people who made the corner make a bundle. He becomes even more despondent. He's wiped out. But the wife comes to see him and says, here's your check for twice the amount of money you put in. Now, do take it and take the children off to Monte Carlo. Have a good time and uh, charge everything you need there to me. What? What? Why? Well, because I was, in fact, the corner, the wife says. And by bringing in another million dollars, another million pounds against us, well, you just, in effect, gave us a million pounds more since we control the market. The 50,000 pounds I'm giving you is a small price to pay um, for that. And so um, they end happy and he goes she goes off to business and presumably he's going to go off to Monte Carlo, either with or without the children. It is a story that is dependent here in 1894 on making its points by gender role reversal. Mm-hmm. Um, is that that fair? Yeah, uh, I mean, 
It's it's uh, first published in the Idler in May 1894, which is a UK publication, and then in the United States in McClure's Magazine, July 1894. So, it's deep into the end of the uh, 19th century. Um, yet it's subtitled uh, a page from the domestic history of the 20th century. Um, there are no um, futuristic elements to it at all. They're, you know, they still have the telegram. Uh, they uh, have carriages. There's no motor cars, right? Nothing is futuristic in the technology. It's only a socially uh, futuristic and I'm not sure that it's socially futuristic as much as is this a is this piece satire or is it um, is it supposed to be science fiction? This is what's going to happen when women gain social standing or um, this thing is so provocative to me. I have no idea what they thought about it at the time. Um, and I think it's a fascinating artifact the the plot very uninteresting you know uh but the plot is there to provoke us i think there's so many words of provocation your summary the way you did it at the beginning i thought was very clever you you sort of hid the fact that um the man is in the woman's role until the last possible second right (laughs) right but, you know, one of the things that makes it a story worth our reading is, at least for the skill of the writer, uh, it doesn't just say that the man is in the woman's role. It gives us detail. Um, for instance, uh, the man is, says to, to the wife, but why don't you come home for dinner more often? The children miss you. Um, and when when Joan has understood what John is doing, uh she says uh, why she needs to uh, talk to him, uh, but he's still nervous. It says she approached her husband. He's sitting down. She's standing and walking around, which is clearly not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, w- uh, women, if they are standing, gentlemen are supposed to stand in 1894, but women can sit. So she approached her husband as he spoke and patted him with some affection on the shoulder as he's sitting down. He looked up at her and smiled. Somehow her influence had a soothing, protective air about it, which made the man feel he was not battling with the world alone. She's his pet. Yes. And I think by highlighting that, the story makes us realize how much women have been infantilized uh, by the gender roles in 1894. In fact, at the end, when she says everything's worked out fine, she refers to him as, oh, you infant. Now, infant literally means, that is, I should say, etymologically means without speech. You know, I mean, he really doesn't have a place. Now, I think that this is uh, not so much a, a modern feminist story in showing us some notion of equality as a higher ideal than we find in the world, but rather it is simply anti-patriarchy, showing us how bad patriarchy has been for other real human beings. I mean, why couldn't a woman know these things? It's not as if her efforts depend upon the size of her biceps. They depend upon her brains. And 
there are so many nice touches. For example, in the first paragraph, when we're introduced to Mr. Maddox, uh, it says he sat before his desk in a most despondent attitude, his head in his hands and his hands in his hair. Things were going badly in the city. Now, cities with a capital C, and anyone in England would know that the city means the financial district of London. Um, Things were going badly in the city, as alas, they often do. Mr. Maddox sat alone in his office in Old Gold Alley. So he, his office is in Old Gold Alley. In the next paragraph, he sends a telegraph to his wife, Mrs. John Maddox, 20, Bullion Court City. It's, it's extraordinary. Old Gold Alley is this little tiny piece of gold left over from God knows what. Mm. And Bullion Court is where Mrs. John Maddox has her her offices. So that's a gorgeous little touch that is telling us something about their relations with each other. But at the same time, the story is telling us that capitalism cannot be trusted. (laughs) It is not simply Uh, something that gathers together money in order to uh, create sufficient capital to be employed productively and therefore increase the wealth of all. It's quite the opposite. It is something that can be played like a game and those who know win. She pursues insider trading. Yeah. And when she succeeds because she has special knowledge of the ability of her husband, and it says, see, husbands are not useless after all, we're told. (laughs) Um, She sends him, where does she send him for vacation? To Monte Carlo, another place to gamble. All right, so money, it's, it's necessity, it's desirability, and it's actual um, disseverment from real work and real productivity runs through all of this. Neither Mr. nor Mrs. Maddox have to work at all. And another sign of how this uh, talks about how people have been undercut by the world they live in. Mr. Maddox's name was Billy. Oh, she yeah. says now, right, she says, now, John, what's the trouble? They're finally finished their, their lunch and he's going to tell her the problem. Mr. Maddox's name was Billy, but everybody called him John because his wife's name was Joan. Mr. John Maddox was the name he was known by. Fascinating, right? His first name has been changed to conform with his wife. In our world, or at least in the England of 1894, a woman changed her surname to conform conform with her husband. Yeah, his telegraph to her is to Mrs. John Maddox. And what's so hilarious about that is that that's his wife, but so she has his last name presumably, but maybe not, right? Or maybe he has her last name, but she is Mrs. John Maddox, but he, she's not even John, she's Joan, and her, it's everything is so beautifully reversed in this that it's withering. It's it's absolutely withering. I can imagine to any man who was had this kind of attitude towards women then it, listen to it is it, you're right beautifully beautifully written listen to this she was sorry to keep him he's in the waiting room 
but she sent him a copy of the sketch for him to look over during the interval. Sketch is a real magazine back then. The sketch was a paper started in the 19th century and, and was at that time considered to be rather in advance of the other slow-going weeklies. Now, however, it was thought to be the correct paper for a man to read. <laughs> right? There's also correct papers for women to read in the 19th century, right? Uh, although the women paid little attention to it. Ooh, withering. In the reception room, this this line is so good. In the reception room, two or three other men were waiting. They're waiting on Mrs. Joan Maddox, right? Uh, we're waiting. And what are they doing? Nursing their hats. They've got their hats on their chest, right? Because they have to have their hats off because they're indoors. But they're not just holding their hats or, you know, fingering their hats. They're nursing their hats. They're turned into women over and over and over again. Every illustration in this story has the man seated or the man even shorter than the woman. Um, the woman leading, the woman opening the door, right? The, everything, the woman is dominant. Um the haircut her brown hair was cut short and parted at the side while the hair of her husband dark and streaked with gray seemed to part naturally in the middle right <laughs> women yeah. with hair parted only on one side back then oh my and cut short never her right hand was thrust into one of these pockets and she jingled some coins and keys as she entered the room where her husband was waiting that is also not something a woman could do back then, right? Jingling coins. They're not even given pockets, mostly, right? Mm -hmm. um, he looked up at her and smiled. Somehow, her influence had a soothing, protective air about it, which made the man feel he was not battling with the world alone. So the this is actually, again, withering. It's women are uh, accompany men and they are helpmates in the men's occupation. Here, the man's inf is being soothed by the being a helper to the woman and having navigate the difficulties of life. Right? Wow. Maddox himself seemed almost effeminate beside her. Wow. Uh, and then when they go out to leave to the get this the Pine Ear Club. Right? Not the Pioneer Club, but the Pine Ear Club, which is a women's club, just like men's clubs. Um, she leads the way, she opens the carriage, whereupon he steps inside. He o he has the door open for him instead of the other way around. Um, these are all things you almost wouldn't notice if this was a story with the genders reversed. It would just be, well, this is a very boring story. But reversing the reversing the genders... Oh man, this story is fascinating. It's it's like uh, anthropology on your own culture. Um, it is. I, I would point out though that it, it it's not. It, it the story does not merely highlight these differences. It criticizes the kind of relationships that come from having such differences. Um, Mrs. Joan Maddox, uh, Mrs. John Maddox. Um, is a very successful business person. She is clearly a very unsuccessful wife. She puts her husband off with money. She does not spend time with him. She's only interested in men for their financial, uh, the financial opportunity they represent, as with Caesar Camp. She 
doesn't spend time with her children. All of the things that one could say are reversed here are also shown to be bad because even if one were not a feminist or an anti uh, patriarchic person, in 1894, you would see that it is bad for a parent to say, I don't want to spend time with my children. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spend time with my spouse. So Joan has adopted not simply male roles, but is shown to have adopted male roles in ways that we realize are wrong. And so those male roles, those male behaviors, I think, are coming in for quite consistent criticism. What I haven't worked out for myself is the degree to which those male roles that are consistently um, attacked are seen as simply coexistent with late Victorian capitalism or, in fact, a consequence of late Victorian capitalism. One thing that makes me lean somewhat toward the latter, that it's a consequence of late Victorian capitalism, in addition to the notion that the earning of money seems unrelated to actually doing productive work, is that in the very first two paragraphs that give us the two locations of the husband and wife, we realize that the family is physically separated because of their work. Whereas once upon a time, for example, when people had farms, um, you weren't physically separated because of your work, right? You, you lived where you worked. And that still was true for even many shopkeepers in 1894, right? You, you had your grocery store and you lived in an apartment above it. Uh, if for no other reason than that the rent was cheap, you owned that place. And of course, you could prevent theft if you were there to guard the place. So families lived where those who worked also worked. There's a separation here. And given that the great money that Joan gives disdainfully to her husband, oh, here, have it and charge anything you like to me. Um, that money comes from a world in which families are being removed from each other. I think that this is not just a reversal to uh, attack the patriarchy, but is also in some way uh, suggesting that capitalism mm. in its more advanced forms is, uh, is destructive to human family values. Remember, we're not just talking about somebody betting on a stock here. To make sense of all of the instructions we get, all of the description we get about which way the markets move, we have to understand that we're talking about um, combination and restraint of trade and trading not on the stocks themselves, but on the futures for the stocks. That's that's gambling. It's gambling, just like Monte Carlo. I, I, I want to read uh, – we, we don't have time to read the whole story, but I want to read this sequence. This is from when they're at her club, and it's just so, so on point that it it, it just I, – I can't imagine the effect that this would have had uh, in the 1890s because it, it, it has an effect on me. And I, I, I know I'm only thinking about the 1890s, but I, I kind of think I know how they thought then, and – This is shocking. Listen to this. 
We will take the regular club lunch, she said to one of the waiters, and bring a bottle of the 84 champagne, a large bottle. So she's ordering for him. And her. But for both. I, I don't think I, I care for champagne, said Maddox, hesitatingly. It gives me a headache. Nonsense, cried his wife. A glass or two will do you good. You look worried. So she, she knows better than him how his constitution will fare under alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. I am worried, and that is what I wish to see you about. Well, we won't talk business during lunch, if you please. Uh, so she's just dismissing his worries. Uh, we're not. We'll talk about the family. We'll talk about something else. Adding as she leaned back in her chair, it's a habit I never indulge in. It's a bad one. For uh, it's it's bad for one. We can have a talk in the smoking room after. Um, so he's poo pooing her. <laughs> no, she's poo pooing his um, worries and says, "Oh, we'll do- deal with it later." How are the children? Very well, thank you. The girl is a little hard on the boy and knocks him about a bit, but they are getting on very well. Wow. <laughs> the boy's beating up on the girl. Wow. Poor li- the girl's beating up on the boy. Yeah, it's, it's so hard. <laughs> I keep switching it. Uh, poor little fellow, says Mrs. Maddox. Boys are such a worry to their parents when one thinks that they have to encounter this world alone. Wow. <laughs> I must run down and see them next week if I can. Oh, my God. Ouch. I wish you would, said Maddox. The children miss you very much. Why don't you come more often, home oftener? Well, very soon I expect I will be able to do so, she replied. But like you, I have a great deal on my mind at present, and the market requires close watching. Can't you come home with me tonight? He asked. The children would be so pleased to see you. No, she answered. I have to take Sir Caesar Camp out to dinner tonight. Now, this is this is maybe less shocking today, but this is a woman going out essentially on a date with an, at least a dinner date with a man who is not her husband. This is uh, kind of, I mean, this is stuff that still bothers people today, right? Like, uh, was the vice president of the United States won't have a meeting with a uh, a woman who's not his wife without another person in the room, right? <laughs> it's, yep. it's like, what? No, this is the the husband being told that his wife is going to take another man out on a date instead of coming home and see see the children. It, and poor and poor John erstwhile Billy just has to take it. He just I, has I, to take it. Yeah, I, I think that uh, you're pointing to a good passage. It's hardly unique in this story. It's, no. it's, a, it's a clever story. It is. Uh, you know, one thing one can draw from this is that the children are learning their gender roles by seeing how the mother treats the father and yep. how the father um, sublim- uh, so subjects himself to the mother. Uh, so... It, one of the things that Barr is telling us here or allowing us to ask about is whether or not the gender roles that we now should be seeing through this story as reprehensible actually are learned from childhood on. They are a learned behavior and parents by their own behaviors make that happen. It's not, it's a suggesting just natural 
that one sex would bully the other because look here it's not happening although of course now science says that there are actually prenatal differences that we see having to do with the level of testosterone in utero but they didn't know about that in 1894 the idea that nature could so much be overcome by nurture was a perfectly reasonable position for lots of uh, intellectuals at that period. Uh, this scene, that scene that I just read was is paralleled by another, uh, straightly, and is actually previewed by that scene uh, in the smoking room, and it, it does the exact same thing, right? After lunch was over, Mrs. Maddox led the way upstairs to the private smoking room, which she had reserved for their use. Um, overlooking a bit of the river and a commanding view of Charing Cross Railway Bridge. So, it's a, she's in charge. It's her room. The, the room commands, right? Ringing a bell to give an order, she asked her husband, what will you drink? Nothing, thank you, he replied. But afterwards, added afterwards, I, I will have a glass of milk and soda if I can get it. So, this is, again pointing to how women are indecisive right <laughs> the people yes. the stupid arguments that people said about women being indecisive now men are indecisive uh, you will smoke of course said his wife uh, a cigarette <laughs> answered maddox uh so uh, she says when the waiter oh, when the waiter appeared M mrs maddox said bring a glass of milk and soda some of the best egyptian cigarettes and two havana cigars and a glass of special scotch with seltzer so who is the scotch and seltzer and the two havana cigars for it's for her and he gets right. the cigarettes which is female the diminutive form of the cigar right oh my it's so obvious her husband lit his cigarette from the match she held out to him and then biting the end from her own cigar she, she began to smoke this is uh, this is almost a cartoon, right? It is. It, when you think of, I mean, this is what men did, of course. But when women do this, oh my God! She thrust her two hands deep down in her pockets and began to pace up and down the room. This is not allowed. Women aren't allowed to do that. Men, perfectly legitimate. Actually, even men would not quite do what she's doing in 1894 in a luxurious club such as this. The tray on which the waiter return, uh, presents the, the objects that were ordered mm -hmm. would include a cigar cutter. She, she's <laughs> showing how manly she is by being able to bite off. The exactly. There is something underlyingly crude about her willingness to take advantage um, because she's not using a cigar cutter. She just bites it off. I my my notes sort of run out after this point until right at the end, but I will point one one other th thing that happens in this sequence where he uh, she supposedly helps him with his plan to get his money out of loss. Um, ultimately, we find out that she was lying to him, that she yes. was manipulating him in order to get what she wanted. And she pays him off in the end and doesn't think there's an apology necessary, right? Yep. This is brutal. Well, brutal stuff. It is. But, you know, um, we can look at it that way, and I think reasonably so. 
We can also realize, though, that John, we, we see his reactions um, when she says, why don't you give up your office in the city and go home and take care of the children? A spark of resentment appeared in the man's eyes as he gazed at his wife. I don't want to be entirely dependent on you, he said at last. Pooh, said his wife, and then added, I will make you a handsome allowance for housekeeping and as much as you want besides. You're worrying yourself to death about business. You ought to take a run to Brighton or go off to Monte Carlo and give up bothering about city affairs. The man sighed. Now, we get his reactions. He doesn't like the position that he is in in relation to his wife. I point that up, Jesse, because we don't get a negative reaction to having been used through a lie. Right. Uh, I think that a just as we don't see the cigar cutter, we don't see him resisting the lie. And just as the absent cigar cutter tells us something subtle about Joan's underlying ferocity, I think the absence of a rejection of having been put into the position of being used by Joan tells us something about just how abject John is. Agreed. It's a uh, it's an amazingly powerful anti-masculinist story, given that it is fully twenty years before Charlotte Perkin Gil- Perkins Gilman's Herland. I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that we don't really see in fiction for decades. Uh, this is this is a real winner. Mm-hmm. I can easily believe that Barr was the co-founder with Jerome K. Jerome of this very magazine, which had so much uh, impact in England. It's good stuff. It is. And I encourage all all listeners to check out the illustrations. We we talked extensively about them before the podcast began. And uh, they're they're stunning, really, just to see visualize what what is is written in the story jesse you did have another question though yeah on the illustrations with which you began our discussion what what is the missing word of the title the revolt of the it, it can't be the women because in this story the women i mean they are revolting <laughs> <laughs> in a certain sense, <laughs> but <laughs> is it the revolt of the men? Because he, I don't think he's going to revolt at the end. I don't think so either. I think if I can pick up the notion I suggested that this is not so much a feminist work as an anti-masculinist work or an anti-patriarchal work, this is the revolt of the, because it's a revolt that just hasn't happened yet. Mm. Right. There is it's not ready for revolt. And even though it is in the subtitle, um, a page from the domestic history of the 20th century, the 20th century has not been enough to make this happen. And, you know, when I think about it, what is it? Is it 1963 that Betty Friedan published The Feminine Mystique? I mean, really, it's 70 years before people start seriously talking about a revolt on these lines. Mm -hmm as opposed to just winning certain rights like the suffragists. Um, But a real revolt having to do with the domestic arrangements 
that that's got decades to wait. So yeah. there is no word for that. And that, of course, is what Friedan said in the feminine mystique. Um, this is the problem that does not have a name. Mm. And yet, even without a name, apparently, there's always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. Thank you.